welcome to the Object Trader podcast. Uh, thanks for joining us today. Uh, it is the 6th of October, and today we're talking to Steve Ward um, of Performance Edge Consulting, um, who is a coach to traders and fund managers, and a man who can provide traders with a little bit more insight into the psychology of trading and perhaps avoiding some of the common pitfalls that are out there. Welcome to the show, Steve. Thank you, Stuart. Thanks for the invite to be here. I've done a little bit of research already on um, on what you're offering uh, traders and investors, and it does actually sound really, really interesting to me. You hear a lot about from, from educators of traders and people who advise traders about the technical aspects of trading financial markets um but you hear less about the the human aspects as well and and uh, the psychological aspects and it's uh it's a very um intriguing approach that you have here could you could you just uh, tell our listeners a little bit more about um you know your own background and and uh what it is that you that you've been doing Sure. I mean, I think first of all, you're right. I think there's a an, an emphasis on on trading on the technical and sort of the strategy side, uh, the process. And I think about performance, and this is true for trading performance, as being probably three parts, which is craft, mind, and body. So the craft is really the trading skill, the trading knowledge, the strategies, the process, a lot of the the doing, and then. That's really, you know, that's the core part. But when you're doing what you're doing, that's being influenced by what's going on obviously in the mind and also in the body. So there's a psychology and a physiology piece that's playing out around that process. And that's the piece that maybe is given um, the least focus. It's, it's increased a lot over the, over the last few years. But obviously that is my, my domain is sort of the, the mind and body to enhance the craft. So um, yes, yeah, so my background basically was um, sports, um, performance coaching, sports psychology, in essence, uh, helping athletes and teams in, I think it was about 33 different sports all over the globe, developing sort of the mindsets or ways of thinking and then the mental skills to apply in sort of the competitive environment to improve their performance. And again, you know, obviously they had, uh, they were doing work on their fitness and, and obviously, you know, on, on physio and, and, um, and massage and so on and recovery. That's on the body side. Obviously, they're doing the technical tactical work with the coaches. And then obviously, they're doing my work um, on the mindset side of things. And then um, the transition from there into trading was purely um, by chance. Uh, it, was a, it was a chance encounter with a, with a, uh, a meeting with someone who attended a sports psychology program I was running. And they also happened to be the head of performance and learning for a large proprietary trading group. They had uh, five offices globally and about 200 and something plus, 250 plus traders. And it was really just a, a chance conversation with the question, do you think this might work with financial traders? And I was honest. I, mean, I, I said, I, I don't know. Um, I don't know much about that world. So we anyway, I went down to London. We met. We, we, we um met some of the traders, had some discussions. And anyway, from that, it led into me spending about a year there, uh, ended up three days a week providing coaching and training. Essentially, in those days, this is 2005, uh, early 2005, utilizing primarily sports psychology to enhance trading performance. And then really over the last 15 years, my expertise or, or my, I guess, my, my tool set has expanded massively because obviously there are differences between athletes and, and, and traders so um, but yeah so really chance encounter uh, and by I did the Winter Olympics in 2006 and really beyond that 95% of my work from then and and to now 
has been with uh, sort of the trading and investing space. When you when you were working with professional athletes, were you tending to work with people who were individual performers or was it more team? And I'm thinking here because, you know, in an institution like an investment bank, you will have a lot of traders working together um, as part of a team and, and with somebody providing overall direction and risk management. Yeah. Whereas with uh, what I would call non-professional traders, so it could be somebody who's just sitting at home all day and trading mm. the market. That sounds to me more like a you know, someone like a professional tennis player, for example, who is on their own. There is no no team of other people working with them. Yeah. So when I was in sports psychology, my I probably spent 70%, 75% of my time with individuals and probably 25% within teams. Um, I actually had a big interest, and this is my own personal interest as well as my sort of psychology interest in sport with extreme adventure and uh, action sports type athletes who too tend to be um, individuals and also risk takers and so on. So that was my sort of special niche within the field. But I did a lot of uh, team sports as well. What I say about teams, uh, trading teams as such, especially in banks is there's a lot of trading teams that are called teams by name, but they're not teams by, let's call it function, i.e. they're essentially a set of individuals who are working as a collective under the umbrella of the equities team or the commodities team, whatever you want to frame it. So it's only been probably more recently that there's been a greater focus on actual teamwork in terms of collaboration and, and you know, working together to generate P&L. Certainly historically, it, I say, you know, if it, if it wasn't really a t trading when I was from 05 to probably 15, 16, 17, wasn't really a, a team activity. And I think hey, probably um, investment firms are probably more collaboration and team focused than perhaps um, banks are. And of course, as you said, most hedge funds, you know, you turn up, you get into your seat and obviously then you, you, you make the money you can make, which is probably more akin and same probably for prop trading as well, where uh, I think hedge fund trading and prop trading and probably the private traders are probably more akin in terms of, you know, it's you, your screens, your strategy, and also you go and you try and make the money that you can. So there's not a lot of obviously access to flow and information and clients and so on. So, yeah, so predominantly my work is largely with individuals. What's your, what's kind of the difference? Obviously, sports people spend a lot more time running around and maybe um, in better physical shape than traders. <laughs> but uh, but beyond that, um, are there any special, um, any big differences you found with traders versus versus professional athletes in terms of what you're called upon to advise them on? Um, are, there, are, are there differences in their thinking? Well, there's, there's two main differences that come to mind immediately. One is the fact that obviously sport, uh, most sports are primarily physical and obviously trading is cognitive. So, you know, it's, it's a mental activity. So, so I think that, that's, that is the big difference. I mean, both can be competitive. Both have, can have stress and pressure. Both have a craft that you're trying to master. Both require commitment, determination to kind of, you know, to succeed over time. Both have to deal with winning and losing, obviously. So that's a big factor. But the other, the other key factor that I think is different between trading and sport is how often you might have to deal with winning and losing. So you know, if you're a sports team and you, let's say it's football, keep it simple, and you're playing twice a week, you, you know, you have two, two events where you win and or lose and you have to recover from. Uh, some of my traders are making 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 plus trades per day. So, you know, they can be dealing with winning and losing and the emotions attached to that on a much more regular basis. So that's I think that's one difference. And also the other the other key factor is in trading, there is no off season. 
So in sport, you know, there's obviously a competitive season and those obviously have been extended over the years, but there is primarily an, an in-season and there's an off-season. And even during the in-season, there is a lot of built-in recovery and, you know, downtime and, and, and you know, training and practice. And for most people in the trading space, there's a, you know, you're, you're trading, well, you've got the weekends free, but you don't, you know, the five days, maybe even into the weekends, you're, you're doing your trading and your research and prep. And you can be doing that 52 weeks a year. So it, um, and that has challenges. And again, you know, obviously the, just the exposure to the ups and downs, I think is, can, be, can be heavily magnified in trading. But of course, it does depend on your trading timeframes. And if you're doing uh, day trading, it's going to be very different if you're doing obviously swing trading versus longer timeframe trading or investing. So, so th there are ways that that kind of obviously does mitigate with timeframe. But, but generally, I think there's more exposure to those stresses and demands in trading than perhaps there is in sport. Do you think that that's a common a common problem with a lot of traders in that they're not budgeting that downtime for themselves and that that can then feed into compounding stress levels and or potentially contributing to mistakes and that some of these losing streaks that some people complain about are actually just could be down to simple fatigue? Yeah, for sure. And actually... Um we or i i say we i have undertaken quite extensive um physiological assessments with traders so we've hooked them up to monitors uh which measure their stress levels measure their sleep patterns recovery patterns physical activity patterns so they give us an indication of how much strain they're under on, on a moment to moment basis and over time and then we've looked at that against um market volatility and kind of market trading intensity so we can see the impact on the markets on their bodies and then we see the impact of their bodies on their decision making. And it is it is definitely true that as traders become fatigued, it does impact their decision making. As, as a general rule, as fatigue increases, we tend to become more risk averse. People are obviously more prone to making errors as they fatigue. Um, the brain's looking for kind of quick, easy ways. So we're more prone to bias when we're fatigued. So traders do not trade at their best when they're fatigued. And depending on obviously the context you're in, so obviously for private traders, it's different to bank traders, different to hedge fund traders. But essentially, most of us are exposed to uh, stresses and, and fatigue in some way, because even a private trader who's maybe working full time and then perhaps is, you know, doing their trading in the evening or trying to fit it in during the day. You've got work fatigue. You've got the fatigue of life in general. Maybe, you know, if you've got a family and so on. And then you've got your trading on top. If you're trading in a bank or a fund, you've also got the stress and pressure that the, the, you know, the trading is the work as such. And that can create fatigue. Lots of traders work pretty long, hard hours. Uh, quite intense, a lot of pressure to perform. So, but I think there is, you know, certainly the research that, that, that I did, which we did for about two or three years, shows that there is definitely a high level of fatigue that occurs in traders. And that's obviously in the body. This is the mind-body piece. So the fatigue is occurring in the body, but the brain, which is about 2% of our body weight and uses about 20 to 25% of our energy consumption, requires fueling. And of course, the fuel is coming from the body. So as the body fatigue, Fatigue, it affects also the ability of the brain to perform. So it's why in my work, I always say, you know, the craft is one, but we must always look at the mind and body together because the body does play a big role in risk-taking and decision-making. And there's a great book called The Hour Between Dog and Wolf by John Coates, which talks a lot about the biology and how traders' horm hormones shift and change based on whether you're winning and losing and the impact of fatigue. Uh, so, yeah, there's, lo there's lots of good evidence to show that the body is playing a big part in, in how we trade. I spent two years, two happy years working in an investment bank, um, and I was certainly aware of that, um, as, you've, as you 
become more fatigued, you make mistakes. But are there any other common errors or mistakes that you find a lot of private traders are making? Just you know the the key ones that just keep coming up and up, coming up again and again, and uh, that people need to be aware of. Yeah, I think the common ones will be the ones that you know that people will be familiar with in their own trading and investing that we would read about in most books. So you know things. You know, the, the basic ones really around, you know, holding on to winning trades long enough is a challenge for people. On the other side, obviously, you know, some people are, are not as quick or easy to take their losses as they, as they might want to be. Hesitating to get into trades can be a challenge for some people. Likewise, just pulling the trigger in general is, a, is difficult. Then you've got, you know, sometimes people are perhaps trading positions that are too big for them, which creates fear and anxiety and stress. Or maybe they're trading sometimes too small for them, so they're not maximizing opportunity then you can get bored and complacent. So position sizing, I think, is, is a key factor. Fatigue and tiredness we've talked about, but I think that is a, definitely a, a common factor. Being attached to positions, so getting too attached to the trade or married to the trade, as, as we might call it, that definitely plays out for people. Then I think you know, there, there are people who trade out of boredom, which I think is a big challenge. So you know, that's probably the, you know, the opposite of that is being patient. Yeah, I think you know, a lot of people take engage in these trading behaviors because you know thoughts show up or emotions arise that they don't know really how to manage them so they kind of they're acting on them and i think one of the, the commonalities in trading is that we're often being exposed to emotions and, and and thoughts and sensations that can be a bit uncomfortable and as part of our preference as humans for comfort we find ways to avoid that discomfort but unfortunately it often leads to behavior uh, which also is comfortable, but reduces our, our return. So, uh, so I think there's probably, you know, a 10 or 12 very common ones, not just for private traders, interestingly, but also in uh, inexperienced traders. So these play out as part of the human condition and the challenges of, of taking risk under conditions of uncertainty. And then it's really about, you know, that they happen. And then it's really having you know, the skills and abilities to be able to you can't get rid of them, but I think, you know, you can reduce them and you can reduce the frequency and you can reduce the magnitude so you can reduce the impact of them on your returns. Uh, that's really interesting. I mean, I've done a lot of interviews with hedge fund managers. Um, I must have interviewed over 300 hedge fund managers. And uh, the issue that has come up sometimes is this, this one of I need to be in the market, i.e. I've got too mm. much cash. My investors are putting pressure on me and they have an expectation that this strategy should be active and although there might be a lack of opportunity there in the market and your your um rational brain is telling you no there's nothing interesting they will go into a position which is unsuitable just because they feel better that, yeah. that they're giving that they're living exposure somehow and that that seems to be quite a common occurrence well that's what we call that bias to action and it's 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 a strange one because it's um we perceive the being the action as being the thing the right thing to be doing and, and that's where the pressure comes from the investors it feels like you know you should be being active i.e kind of in a sense you should be earning your money but in a way it's a bit like saying you know well if policemen aren't out and about handcuffing people they're not doing their job or if firefighters aren't out putting out fires all the time they're not doing their job so it doesn't and same you know if you look in the military special forces you haven't got to be firing your weapons to be doing your job and i think you know it works on both sides from the from the investor perspective and from the from the hedge fund manager perspective it's the awareness of what's the purpose of what we're trying to achieve which obviously is is you know maximizing market returns then it's into process what's the most effective way for us to do that 
And that will mean recognizing periods where we should be invested and periods where we maybe shouldn't be invested and allow, you know, kind of building the process and then trusting the process to achieve the outcome over time. The challenge we all have, and this is true for all traders and, and, and investors and fund managers, is we get too attached to the outcome. So we get too worried to making the app, we get too focused on the outcome and it, and it takes our attention away and it causes us to deviate behaviorally away from the process as we get greater attachment to, you know, to the, to the outcome we're trying to aim for. If the outcome is, is better than expected, we can deviate as we get overconfident. If the outcome is not as good as expected, we can feel the pressure now to, you know, to deviate away, take more risk maybe to try and get back on track. Um, and I think you know, this shifting, or one of the core things I teach in my process is we need to really become curious about how we make decisions and make almost the core part. Well, for me, the core, the core skill in trading is making decisions under conditions of uncertainty. So what we should be looking to do as traders and fund managers is improve the skill, which is the process, which is the ability to make good decisions under conditions of uncertainty. And the more people spend time and effort investing in getting good at that craft as such, the better the outcomes will become over time. But if you focus just on the outcomes, it doesn't always lead to you taking action to get better at the craft as such. So it's a bit of a, a paradox, but it's, it's the same thing in, in sport. And I've, I did some work with poker players and it's the same in poker. You've got to play the hand that is the best hand to play. And then, you know, in poker, you lose a lot of hands. The variance is high. In trading, you will lose some trades. It will be a good decision, but you'll lose. Likewise, you can make a bad decision and win. So where there's probabilistic environments, it's really it's the main focus on the process and over time on improving that process. Now, that sounds that sounds very sensible. And you're, you're absolutely right. We do see that. And we've seen that recently um, with... Um, traders and investors who become very attached to a particular company. Um, you see it more with the small caps guys, but yep. um, I've seen it with, with, we're seeing it at the moment with some, mm. a lot of investors are sitting in stocks. I'm not going to name any names, but these stocks have been losing money pretty much since the start of the year, um, yep. certainly since the start of the pandemic. And you can see that they are emotionally, emotionally attached to these companies even though all the rational data is saying you've just got to cut that loss and leave it because yeah. you're all because some of these ones are now beginning to look very very rocky and may even be out of business by the end of the year but the the, the investors are diligently defending that company in public and and arguing its case even though yeah. you know the bad news is stacking up every single yeah. week and you say with fund managers as well i mean there's been some very interesting decisions made um, by some fairly high profile asset managers in the last 12 months to back specific companies or sectors. And and you, you have to ask yourself, why on earth have you done that? I would have mm. thought all the evidence yeah. was against it. But yeah. I, guess, I guess that underpins what you're saying about this, this emotional attachment to a mm. specific piece of the market that, that um, is more about the person than about the, the actual asset they're investing in. Yeah, well, I think the attachment in general is a, and, and attachment generally creates rigidity. So if we're really strongly attached to a view, you know, if we believe the market's going up and I, and I really believe that and I become rigid to that, then I lose the flexibility of, of you know, doing something different or reversing my position or changing my mind if, if, if I'm proven incorrect because of the market dynamics. Um, 
And obviously, if you've invested a lot of time, you know, maybe researching a stock and, you know, you spent hours and hours and time and energy is invested into it. And then you've been in it for a long time. You know, it's like a, it's like a relationship. And if you invest lots of time and energy into a relationship, it can be quite hard to break up. And that's what it can be like, you know, when, when you're in the market sometimes. If you're in a trade for a long time, you put effort and time into kind of generating the idea. You know, you've done all the sizing. You've got, you know, you've entered the position. Now you're in it. And each kind of day that ticks along that you're in it, essentially, you're, you know, you're in that relationship for a little bit longer. And, and like in life relationships, there's kind of ups and downs and you kind of weather the storm on the up and the down. And, you know, you, the emotions come and go and you do. You literally become attached. Then you become rigid. And I think one of the skills the high level mental skills in, in trading and investing is flexibility, uh, not just at the behavioral level, but also how we can maybe be flexible with the thoughts that arise and the stories we have about who we are as a, as a, as a manager, a fund manager and as a trader and about the emotions that show up and how we work with them. Uh, and certainly in my framework, it's very largely built around um, a sense of flexibility, not, not randomness or kind of just in the flow type doing anything that we think, but allowing some maneuver because we have to appreciate, obviously, the markets are dynamic and the world is dynamic. And what we think about now and our views right now may be correct now, but they may not be correct for some people, even later on today, if not tomorrow, next week, next month, next year. So just having that flexibility. And I just finished doing some coaching with a, with a hedge fund manager recently. And one of his big takeouts from the coaching was the idea of being a bit more flexible and recognizing, for example, you know, shifts in market dynamics and, and keep updating, you know, what's the context of the market now? So we don't get sucked into almost assuming that it's going to be the same today as it was yesterday, because things can be very different today. But we need to kind of keep the updating of the context as we go along. And what does that mean in terms of the positions I've got on, you know, the, the decisions I might make and the risk I might take and allocate and so on? That's, yeah, that's, that's very interesting because it is, it is something that um, you do see for example, the, the changing changing context of the markets has has caused some big names in the hedge fund space to actually say, you know what, this is this isn't the same market. I made all my money mm. trading. It has it has fundamentally changed. Um, yep. A lot of my core systems are not going to make money anymore. And these guys, admittedly, have made enough cash that they've actually said, I'm taking a step back. I'm not I'm not going to manage money for third parties anymore i'm just going to be running as a de facto family office and um, yeah. i've seen several cases of this um, of funds i know in the last again in the last sort of 12 to 18 months where they've recognized that change i guess if it's if it's if it, you're a private trader you just have to be a little bit more aware that the market uh, you know even five years ago um, that market is different. I mean, there will be some asset classes or some markets that haven't really changed that much, but but a lot of them, the dynamics have changed. There are different participants. There's different ways of doing things. Technology has changed things. Patterns are changing, and I guess it's important that you know you're that you're aware of that and that you 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 adapt to that. Yeah, well, certainly, for if you want to sustain performance over time then you'll need to be able to maybe have some flexibility in the short term. And then for definite, you'll need to be adaptable in the longer term because it's just, you know, in pure evolutionary terms, there will be changing shifts. And I mean, I've probably seen since I started working in trading in February 2005, and I kind of got launched into a bit of a shift in terms of the sort of the, um, the pit trading onto the early days of electronic trading. That was a big transition then. And there's probably been you know, at least three or five pretty significant shifts since then. And, and the reality is that some traders, you know, adapt 
and, and stay in the markets. And other ones maybe sit out and wait it out a little bit. And other traders keep going, but don't adapt. And, you know, and, and in the end, either through fatigue or frustration or through financial situation, you know, have to um, exit the market. So um, definitely when, when, when we work with sometimes with the newer traders, I continually stress, you know, as a core skill to develop this idea of flexibility, you know, and, and you know, doing research, you know, thinking into the future, you know, how might the market be later this year? What might be some key themes or what might be some themes that play out next year? And what does that mean for me and my approach? And are there any skills that maybe are worthwhile working on or, you know, knowledge to gain that could be useful for me? So I'm preparing myself for the future. Uh, much as when I was working in sports psychology, if we had an athlete now training for the Olympics in 2024, you've got to be thinking about what will it take to win in 2024? You can't train to be the winner this year. You've got to be thinking about what do we, you know, how might the world of sport be in 2024? What's the environment going to be like? What roles technology going to play? You know, what training methods might we be able to access? So you can grow somebody into being a medal winner in 2024. And that's some of the work I've done with some of my clients, both individuals and also organizations, is trying to get a sense of, you know, where the market trends are going, how the world of the markets might be, and, you know, the sort of the, uh, the role of technology in trading and investing and so on in the future. And what does it mean in terms of who you need to grow into so you can be not only successful now, but also in the future? Otherwise, you're behind the curve all the time. Uh, and one of the things that I, you know, I like about, um, I mean, I, I know you've written a couple of books as well and you obviously have your course, but you are focusing more on the individual because obviously, you know, everybody's, everybody's different. We see a lot of trading courses where, um, people promise a specific system and, and it's, it's uh, a certain approach to trading that is meant mm -hmm. to work for everybody and, and, and potentially every market. Whereas, in fact, you know, I, I know for a fact that, you know, different markets have different characteristics. Um, yep. Emerging markets currencies are different from, say, trading cable. Um, yep. But also also the individual trader, everybody is, is, is slightly different in the way they think and the way they behave. And and it, and it sounds to me like what you're saying is you've got to be a little bit more self-aware and about yourself and the way you think, and and your risk tolerance as well, um, in order to be more successful. Yeah, well, I always think about if you imagine like a, an equilateral triangle, and if we go to kind of each of the apexes, you'd have the trader I normally put at the top, and I put market bottom left and strategy bottom right. So, and then for me, what you're trying to do essentially is you wanna try and find that the best match possible of the traders kind of strengths and styles and obviously skills knowledge and ability and so on and you want to try and match that with a, a strategy a way of trading that is aligned with particularly around things like their risk tolerance and their tolerance for uncertainty and volatility and so on which will then lead them into obviously you know certain markets will be more or less volatile and so on and actually, it's a bit like, again, if we kind of go into the sports world, it's like each of us will have different physical strengths and characteristics. And then also you're trying to match into uh, perhaps the sport. So it might be athletics. But of course, athletics has everything from, you know, a, a hundred meter sprint or even 60 meters if you go indoors, right up to the marathon in running alone. Or you might not even be a runner. You might be a thrower. So even if you find athletics, you've still got a lot of work to do to try and get into the event. And trading is very similar. And that's why I like it, because... It allows people um, the ability to, to, to experiment and find their own style and find the markets and find the strategies. And again, it's like relationships. You know, you can randomly stumble into, you know, love at first sight with the first, you know, um, 
partner you meet and then you stay together for 50 years or more. Or, as is often the case, you know, we have to try, you know, a few different partners out and then we find out, you know, what we like, what we don't like. And then we, 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 we build that relationship. And it, it's very similar with the markets. You know, we, you, you've got to do the experimenting and trying. And this is the, the downside sometimes, as you were saying, of the courses which are sold as a this is the way is they'll be being sold by a person who is, let's assume they are successful and what they're selling is their way and it, and it works for them and maybe you can verify it and that's all good. It just doesn't mean that way will work for all people. But the reality is everyone needs to start somewhere. So you need, you need to start with a course, but I think the path from kind of beginner through to being kind of competent and expert in trading is trying out lots of different approaches to begin with, then getting a sense as to the one that maybe feels right to kind of spend a bit more time on. And then you can start to go, okay, this is still, a, still quite standardized. And then the goal is to individualize it so it works for you in terms of your lifestyle, you know, your living conditions, your own context, how much you've got to invest, your, and then your personal strengths and styles as well. That's a very important point you make there because everyone's lifestyle is quite different. And certainly as far as traders are concerned, you know, we, there are some people who may only want to just put on one trade a week versus uh, someone who's you know, in the market every day sitting in front of their screens 12 hours a day. That's the very different demand from, you know, someone who's, who's, who's yeah, you know, I'm going to have only one or two trades running at a time and there will be days I won't be in the market at all. And again, some of that will be determined by time availability, how much time have I got available, but also it will be dependent upon the person's risk style. So their kind of preferences, you know, do I want to be somebody who's trading actively and being exposed to a high number of winners and losers each week and have to deal with that? And then do I want to do that maybe as outright positions or maybe as spreads or pairs trade, try and sort of diversify the risk a little bit? Or am I somebody who actually would rather just make, you know, a longer time frame type investment where there's, you know, there's more kind of work being done that's maybe more cognitive and, and kind of the planning and researching. And then it's on and I kind of just step back and let it do its thing. And what people need to essentially try and do is we've all got a preference for how much risk we like and, and kind of how much uncertainty we can handle and, and how much tolerance for kind of uh, the consequences of, of these decisions we can take. And then it's just trying to find the way that allows you to express that um, in your own unique context. And that's generally where people will be more successful. Uh, and this is why sometimes uh, when, when the courses are being sold, they perhaps don't take into account enough of the individual difference. It's like, we get, it's like saying, um, I know Usain Bolt saying, you know, he's going to run a course where, you know, you can guarantee that everyone will run the 100 meters in under 11 seconds and, you know, make it into the national team. It's just not going to be true. Yeah. Some of those people who turn up would be great marathon runners or might be great shot putters or even better footballers and so on. So I think just having the awareness, you know, for me, and this is part of what I love about trading is from when you first get hooked into it and get excited about it, there's a kind of a whole long term pathway ahead of you with lots of ups and downs. But, but part of that kind of path, which is, I call it kind of the, the root of mastery, when you're trying to master the craft, the mind and the body. But part of that is a lot of experiments and testing things out and trying things, what works, what doesn't work. And then at some point, and I've heard it called the clicking point quite often by some of my clients, things just kind of start to come together. Things make sense. You find your style, you find your way, which is great. Then we have to appreciate that sometimes the dynamics then change and you might have to find a new edge or a new way of doing things. So this is kind of the continual kind of creative stroke, flexible um, skills, which are really important. But yeah, I think it's really, you know, I think the goal is to, is to find your way 
of trading if you're going to be successful having now i've said you know there is this trading is not uh, one size fits all can you tell us a little bit more about your um your own approach to um coaching traders what 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 are what sort of courses do you offer and and um are they primarily for beginners or or um do you have courses for more advanced traders how does it work in practice um in terms of uh, how you go about educating traders so for me Stuart, the majority of my work is uh, institutional so it's with um, banks hedge funds commodities trading houses prop trading groups energy companies and so on and that tends to be a mixture of probably at the more junior level in those organizations perhaps for the grads and for newer traders who might do a lot of group training and education type programs as traders get more experienced and more skilled then the value is much greater when and we probably do it you know from a one-to-one -one coaching perspective now this year really just down to the um coronavirus situation because i'm normally on the road most most weeks and traveling but i am going to be for the first time running a program and it'll be a like a training slash group coaching style format for private traders uh, up to this point really most of my work with private traders has been you know um, speaking on podcasts writing the books um you know speaking at events all of which i enjoy but i don't get a lot of time spare outside of my institutional work to do much formal work for private traders so this year i say literally because I'm, i've been a bit more housebound or certainly um i'm homebound then um, I've managed to put a sequence of, of consecutive weeks together where I'm going to be at home mm -hmm. to run uh, to run a training program for the private traders, which I'm very excited about. So this is actually uh, this is actually a unique opportunity in many respects for private traders to benefit from the experience of someone who, who typically typically works with the pros um, because of the uh, every cloud has a a silver lining. Yeah. In this case, <laughs> it's yeah. your ability availability to, to the smaller trader to benefit from your, from your experience yeah it was something that I've, about six years ago i think it was there was a trading education company who asked me to do like a collaboration and we did like a you know a, i i did they they, they they marketed out to their database and i kind of ran a program i think it's about six years ago and it was very well received and i enjoyed delivering it and and since then i've had lots of similar requests and, and 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 i get a lot of individuals contacting me for coaching or for training and i've not been able to do anything until this year and i, and I thought you know what, this is a great opportunity now with a different set of kind of working conditions to do something so that's what i've done so i've put together a, a, a training program and what i wanted to do and, and you framed it very nicely Stuart, what i wanted to be able to do was just to have the chance to share some of the insights i've had working with some of these highly skilled trading professionals from all over the globe across different asset classes and some of the techniques that i use when i'm working with them and some of the strategies and then to share that with you know sort of the private retail trading population but not just that i didn't want to, i don't want to make it just uh, me talking and telling them what i do and how i do it. i want i want to do this program the goal of the program is that we're gonna essentially someone who comes on that program goes through almost like a coaching process so there's going to be lots of reflection and assessment type exercises so we can kind of really start to think about what it means for you as an individual there will be some education some training alongside that as well but lots of exercises lots of techniques to do there'll be exercises to do between the sessions and kind of how you personalize it for your own trading context and then we kind of work through i think there's seven sessions over about six weeks which are basically like an hour of us working together. And then there's a, a, a Q&A session at the end because I want people to be able to ask questions and to you know, share progress and actions as we're going through the program. And then we're going to take a pause. I think it's about five or six weeks. 
and then come back together for like a Q&A, share progress, actions, challenges. So I want it to be an experience where as much as possible, we're working together. So it's not, so it's not something you could just get from a recorded online course or such. You know, you, I want it, people to be able to engage, ask questions, personalize. Yeah, and just make it a very personal, you know, immersive experience. That, that's the goal. Oh, that's fantastic. So people will be able to interact with you and ask you questions and, and raise some of the issues that they've that they're experiencing at the moment with their own trading. Yeah. And, and also, obviously, what's what's good about that? And this is really important. So many times when I work with traders and this is my institutional guys, they'll go to me. Have you ever heard this from somebody else before? Because it feels like it's only them. And, and probably 99 percent of the time I say, yes, I've heard that same thing many times. Maybe the underpinnings behind the challenge are different, but the challenge you're having is not unique. And I think just hearing other people talking about those challenges and maybe providing some insights and some, some ways of working with them um, and people obviously sharing their own ideas, you know, things that they've done. I've, I haven't got all the answers. You know, sometimes traders are very creative and very successful with finding ways of dealing with challenges themselves. So just being part of that, that sort of community and we're, we're keeping the numbers limited. So it's not going to be a it's not going to be hundreds of people. We're, we're, I'm keeping it pretty tight so that we can, or I can allow, because it'll be, it'll be me doing all the work, but so I can allow enough time and energy to take the questions and to, you know, people can send emails in, you know, as we go through the course and so on. And between session seven and the Q&A, there'll be that six week gap. People are going to be encouraged to have a training plan to kind of work on things, implement some of the techniques. And again, you know, there'll still be support available for them as they go through that. So in total, I think it probably runs over about three months, which gives us enough time for people to kind of really take away what's useful, embed it and practice it with support. Because that's a challenge between when you read a book. You know, most of us have read lots of good books. They might have exercises in the book even. We might do them at the time or we don't do them, but we don't always follow through long enough to ingrain them. And that's what I want to get in this program is we're going to, the goal is that we not just learn it, but we do it. Mm -hmm. So we're ingraining it and then you've got it. And hopefully that makes you better when you come out the other end. And if, if someone's interested in joining one of these courses, um, obviously there's only a limited number of spaces available. So uh, sign up as soon as you can, but how, how do they get in touch with you? What's the best way for them to contact you? Best way would be obviously either through the Armchair Trader website, Stuart, because also you've got the, the link on your site there. Otherwise, through tradeatyourbest.com. Oh, that's fantastic. Thank you very much indeed for coming on the show, Steve. That's been really illuminating. And I think that's a really, uh, it's a really uh, refreshingly different take on some of the challenges that, that active traders face on a daily basis. So um, thank you again um, uh, for the insight. That's been brilliant. You're very welcome. And again, thanks for the invitation. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Armchair Trader podcast. Make sure you subscribe to receive further episodes as they come online. And if you want to learn more about trading and uh, also about what's happening in the financial markets, make sure you check out www.thearmchairtrader.com.